shows are live. I don't know what's playing. What do you see on Facebook, us? Checking. We should be live now. All right. I don't know. I guess. Welcome to episode 11 of Security Squad Podcast. I'm Brian Horning, CEO of Exact IT Solutions. I have with me my co-host, Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers IT. Welcome to another week, Andre. How's it going? Uh, things are going great, man. This is an excellent week for me. I have a lot of um, uh, things that just came to my mind today that, that's really going to help me for next week. Uh, was that was that on our uh, mastermind call, or was that from something else? No, no, yeah, that was the mastermind call. Good, good. Yeah, it was. Uh, those are always really good calls for us. Um, if if you are a CEO or a business owner, or somebody who's aspiring to be a CEO or business owner, or, uh, you're in a C level, I think, of a company. Mastermind groups uh, are are really powerful in my opinion um you went on mute did you do that on purpose yep okay um so yeah so mastermind partners are really really real well mastermind groups are in my mind are are really powerful um they're kind of like a non-negotiable for me at this point um i always like to be involved in one but it's important to find the right one um, I've actually backed out of many over the years because it just wasn't really the right fit for me. Um, so it's important to find that fit. So I don't know how you feel about mastermind groups or you want to expand on your experience, but that's kind of been mine. Yeah. And, and even for today, what I learned is because I basically have like a goal and it's, we call it the DCA. And today, just like I realized I have too much in my DCA and I just need to kind of just focus on two or three instead of six or seven. So it was just kind of like and, and it kind of made sense because I was always just turning the wheel on on trying to get my tasks done. So I'm just going right. to go a couple of tasks, get it done and then move on to the next one. Right. And, and the way I look at those things is, is you can always readjust. Right. Mm -hmm. so you've kind of checked the box you know, for one thing that you're, that's a goal or something that you set. And uh, DCA is a, is a direct chief aim, which comes out of the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich, if anyone doesn't know that. Um, and it's essentially just, you know, uh, the idea is, is that you write it down uh, and that you, uh, you know, you, you follow it. It's your, it's your, way of kind of carrying yourself when you make decisions when you're building your goals and you're planning out your company this is kind of the the statement or the thing that you turn to to make sure that everything that you're doing is in alignment with that and sometimes you, you have to readjust your dca because things change situations change circumstances change um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely normal. I think a lot of times people think of DCAs as, oh, once I created it, that's my thing. I got to stick with that. And no, DCAs absolutely can change, you know, in three months, six months, a year. Um, you know my DCA and my DCA probably will change for a year, maybe two, uh, if I'm lucky, right? So, um, so yeah, DCAs are important. If you don't, if you don't know what they are and you want to learn more, you can read about it in the great book that's been around forever, Think and Grow Rich, because uh, that's where we got it from. Uh, and the group that Reg, uh, Andre and I belong to is is uh, you know we're following that kind of methodology along with some other things. So really important stuff there. Um, 
So real quickly, I want to jump into uh, the Microsoft thing that's going on. Um, in case anyone doesn't know, Microsoft released a couple days ago uh, a major uh, patch that patch what's known as Exchange Server. If you don't know what Exchange Server is, it's just what Microsoft calls its email server. Um, think of it like if you don't use Microsoft products and you're a Google person, think it's like Gmail. Um, but the thing with Microsoft's Exchange is prior to Office 365 and hosted Exchange, you used to have to run these things on servers in your own in your own office in your building, right? And Gmail was always cloud-based. Um, <clears throat> And if you are one of those people who happens to run your server in your own office or you run your own server maybe in a co-location or in the cloud, but you own the server, you own the licensing, that's considered an on-premise license. Uh, that's different if you're on Office 365 or Microsoft 365 or hosted Exchange or Exchange Online, whatever you, whatever you call it. It really depends on when you bought the service, probably, is when you called it, because Microsoft, basically, it's the same product. They just keep changing the name mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, but you're okay if you're in the cloud or you have hosted Exchange. Um, but if you run your own server, you are affected by this. I know a lot of, I know a lot of people in um, Fortune 500 companies and in uh, the Department of Defense that are dealing, have been dealing with this all week long. Um, they have been having to apply these patches across their organization. And unlike a lot of businesses that we deal with, Andre, where they probably aren't big enough to have multiple exchange servers, like one is probably good enough for the size of company that they are. We're talking about supporting hundreds or you know tens of thousands of users uh, and it requires multiple exchange servers to do that. And you have to patch every single one of these. Um, I don't envy being an exchange administrator who has to, you know, rush out to get this patch deployed um, so they don't get hacked by these Chinese people who are now hacking exchange servers that are opened up all around the world. And unfortunately, that's pretty much every exchange server because in order for your email to be sent through the internet, it has to interface with the internet in some way, shape, or form. It's not one of those things that you can completely close off uh, from the internet to, you know, protect it from getting hacked. So that's, you know, that's the deal with the Microsoft thing. We wanted to bring it up on the podcast because it has made like national news at this point. Uh, and we would kind of feel like we weren't doing our job if we didn't mention it. So that's what it is. Uh, for a lot of IT companies, it's not a big deal. Um, have you been affected by this at all, Andre? No, we're actually, I'm glad to say, 100% uh, cloud for, for our email service. Now, now it's, it's, it's funny you reacted like that, right? Because I, I kind of, I, I had that reaction with a couple other tech guys that I know. It don't... You can't really smile and say, oh, thank God we're in the cloud, because this could happen to the cloud tomorrow. You know, yeah. I mean? the cool thing about it is, is that we don't have to use our, our resources and our team to fix the problem, right? The infrastructure now, you know, that responsibility is owned by the cloud provider. Um, so Microsoft would eventually, or, or would effectively have to patch this uh, for all the customers that use it. So that's the nice thing from our standpoint, but you still have the risk. Right. And who wants to get that email from Microsoft that says, oh, we had this flaw and now Chinese state mm -hmm. hackers have been in your Office 365 for the last month and a half. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make you feel good. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of these cloud services, it's important to point out, you lose that control, right? You lose the responsibility, but you also lose the control of, you know, knowing how long or know, having the intel to know if somebody's been in your system uh, for a while. When you own the system, you can pretty much see it in real time. When you don't own the system, you're reliant on the cloud provider or Microsoft in this case to tell you uh, when or and how long something has been going on. So, you know, I don't take any, any, I don't, I don't rest easier knowing that my client's stuff is all in the cloud because I know that 
you know, mm-hmm. stuff is still susceptible. And that's let's not paint a picture like, you know, I can see the mad rush from everybody who has an on-prem exchange server going, oh, well, we need to be in the cloud now, you know, because this happened. And that's not really the right reaction. I'm just warning everybody. Yeah, I um, agree. Because, you know, if you're on-prem, you're probably you haven't moved to the cloud for a reason as it is. Like, it's just too much to migrate right now. Um, and it's something that needs to be done over time. But don't don't do a knee-jerk reaction like most companies tend to do in these situations and go, oh, well, we got to get rid of all the on-prem servers and move to the cloud because of this. The cloud is just as susceptible. The same thing can happen even if you're in the cloud. Not the same exact thing from a technical level, but, but Chinese state-sponsored hackers could break into Microsoft systems and then get to their customers, uh, you know, by doing a similar thing. So anything else you want to add to that? No, no, I'm good. But another supply chain attack, right? Yeah. You know, it's not your fault. It's Microsoft's software that's the problem that's now being, you know, and the other interesting thing with this exploit that I think it's important to mention is once they got access, they were able to actually implant malware Mm. and kind of uh, keep that access once they got in there and create their own access tunnel separate from the exploit, right? So if you've been exploited and you patch, but they already put the malware in, they already they still have access to your things. And then Microsoft put out guidance, here's all the stuff you need to be looking for to see if they got into your system already. Yeah. If they're there, they have another way in that they created for themselves. And you have to now patch that as well. So that's important to know if you're a technical person. So speaking of technical persons, I am going to do something today that I have yet to do uh, in my podcasting career, my YouTube channel career, whatever the heck you want to call it, as short-lived as it's been. But I'm going to call out another channel today um, that's very popular on YouTube. And the reason I want to call it out is because what started off to be a really interesting uh, topic of discussion for me and what drew me into the YouTube video itself um, was the topic of discussion. And I thought I, it was going to be something interesting for me to watch. What it turned out to be was as I was watching it, while they were doing a really, uh, let's say they were trying to do a good job, but it ended up being a poor job of describing how somebody should enter into the cybersecurity field today. Like if they were just starting out, like what certifications would you get? Um, you know, what, what things would you do or what technologies would you learn? What programming languages would you learn in order for you to kind of get the most bang for your buck when you're going to get a job? Um, and there was some good advice given, some very practical advice given. Um, but this particular YouTube channel that I'm talking about, maybe some of you have watched it. It's, it's uh, called Network Chuck. Uh, and he had one of actually somebody that we know from our industry on as a guest and he had a guy named john hammond on as a guest and the two of them were rapping back and forth about you know this whole thing with you know what you what search you need to do uh and john is a very well respected cybersecurity researcher he's a threat hunter that's what that's what he does he goes out there and he does a lot of vulnerabilities and it seems like he has a ton of experience with um, capture the flag type games, which if you don't know what they are, it's basically a environment that is set up for hackers. And it's if you've ever played capture the flag as a kid, right? You know, you got to get to one side and steal the flag and bring it back to your home base, right? That's the that's the idea. And same thing with this hacking capture the flag, you're trying to find a vulnerability that's known, you know, by whoever created the kind of the playing field, they put a vulnerability out there. It's on the players to find the vulnerability and then prove that they can exploit it, right? And that's really what capture the flag is. And he, he's kind of built a reputation at, at, on being very good at that. Um, and he is a threat hunter for uh, a company called Huntress Labs. Um, 
he has a military background as he went on in the in the in the video to describe he i believe he worked uh for the coast guard and part of being part of a cybersecurity team or a network team in the government there are standards in place that say that they you have to have certain certifications in order for you to be able to work on these government networks and, and be in these positions so what typically happens is the, the government, the military, the DOD will pay for these engineers or technicians to get certified. Um, and one of the first things that John said um, in, in, the, in the video is that the first certification he got was the CompTIA Security Plus, which is a very well-known, popular um, security certification, I would consider it, and it is, an entry-level certification. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, is that, like at my company, we don't let anybody get involved with security unless you have that certification, right? So you, you can't have an A plus or a network plus and do security at my company. You have to have at least a security plus, right? And we know that that's entry-level and that's, and that's, fundamental, foundational, it's college-like education, meaning you get high-level theory. You don't get hands-on, nuts and bolts, here's how you find vulnerabilities, here's how you write scripts. That's not what Security Plus is. It's touching on the high-level areas of the different facets of cybersecurity and security. And then once you have the Security Plus, you can go on to other things within CompTIA, they have certified ethical hacker. They have other um, other security certifications that, as an individual, you can get. Um, so I wanted to give that background before I kind of go into why I even want to talk about this in the first place, which is that you know I am fully on board with this being a team sport, right? And we need to, in my opinion bring as many people into this field as possible. There's a huge shortage of cybersecurity professionals, of IT professionals. Um, shout out to my friend, Tom Lawrence, who you know I learned in the last week, he built his YouTube channel for the sole purpose of teaching people tech, so more people get involved with tech. He's evolved his channel uh to i think he has over 200,000 subscribers now or something like that or over 100,000 he got the little award i saw it on his channel which kudos to him he's doing a great job on that channel um but he put he developed that channel with the sole purpose of teaching people how to do it and like teaching them his knowledge and skills and he does very good hands-on uh videos to show you how to work with different technologies how to set them up maintain them uh, and what have you. Um, so like, that's kind of what I, that's who I look at and I look at Tom and he'd go, he's a team player. Mm -hmm. When I watched this video with Network Chuck and John Hammond the other day, it got a little snarky. And I, it, it brings to a point to a problem that I see in the IT industry as a whole, which is you could have the Babe Ruth of hacking on your team, right? And he could be the best hacker, you know, best, you know, cyber defense guy that ever walked the planet. But if he thinks too much like a tech, he's probably not going to help your business that much. Mm -hmm. And that's what I got out of watching these two guys rap on the video last night. There were while they were trying to not diminish these certifications the comments the faces the body language the the things that they were saying didn't leave me with a good impression of the CompTIA security plus certification and i want to caution people in that there is a major problem in our industry with people who, for lack of a better term, do the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type of IT training, right? They go in, they learn one thing really well to get a job, to check the box, to get that certification. And then they, 
they really don't do anything else, right? Um, you know, and I get it, right? There's the there's the there's the practical understanding of doing this stuff and 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 practicing it and actually taking time out of your day and learning how to uh, attack different devices and learning how to code and script and use things like COBOL to script and hack into devices and use them to exploit devices, which John absolutely does. He takes time out of his life and he learns this stuff. I'm talking about the people who aren't like John because John is a very unique individual. There's less people like John who will, who will spend hours and hours and hours learning something to get good at it just because they're interested in it. And there's more people who are just checking the box to get a certification so they can get a job or a paycheck. And you have to be careful when you're hiring and building out and, and deciding who's going to be responsible for your security because you could end up hiring somebody with a slew of, of credentials and certifications and letters after their name but they're not going to serve your business well from a business strategy and, and growth standpoint. And even guys like John, who might be really good at finding hackers and, and things like that, might not be good at translating what all this tech means into something that you can understand to help manage and run your business. So I, I, I know I went on for a while there. I think there was a lot that I needed to cover and get out. But I wanted to bring that up as a topic of conversation and get your thoughts on all of that. Um, you know, I, I do think Network Chuck does a great job on his platform for, for, for bringing awareness around network and all the things that are available out there for networking jobs and stuff like that. And John does a great job at what he's good at in terms of threat hunting and, and all the capture the flag stuff that he does. Um, but I think if you're entering into the IT field, you need to have that well-rounded understanding that there's really good people at networks, there's really good people at hacking, and then there's really good people who are really good at understanding what all the technology means and how it affects business. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a business owner, I don't want to be tying myself and, and getting in bed with the best hacker in the world. I want to be tying myself to somebody who understands how the heck all this stuff helps me make money or not. Any thoughts on that? No, you hit it right on the head there. Um, so just going back to the certification, I, I just wanted to say also, I, I, the Security Plus is, is, should be a standard. That should be something that any tech that's going to talk security um, it's a very easy test. I, I took it. Um, I took the class, then took the you test. You can't poo-poo it. Right. Right. And you, well, number one, I was like a little taken aback by John because he has it, right? He's taken it. He's been through it, right? So he does speak from experience. And I don't want to say that he wasn't necessarily um, saying you shouldn't get it, but he also at the same time was very much like, letting you know his opinion that it wasn't a very good certification. Mm -hmm. Right. At his level, I could see that. But I guarantee you, if you rewind the tape back to when John was working in the Coast Guard and he was sitting for that Security Plus for the first time, I bet you he didn't have the same perspective. Right. I bet you he looked at that as something a little bit more serious. Obviously, he probably wanted to get in the security at that point. And it was a requirement. Um, yes, it's a very foundational program. But would you build a house on dirt and mud, or do you want to have a cement slab or basement underneath your house? Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Further thoughts on this? Yeah, and then that goes now to you know for the business owner listening to this, you know what all that said is who's talking in your ear? Right. So is it is it a is it a, a guy who's a tech enthusiast and yeah he, he knows how to fix it but he's laser focused on just that fixing it and not looking around your business to say you know why why isn't this part of your business talking with this part of the business or 
why is it that you're doing something this way when you can implement this technology to then save on that cost? And, and like you said, Brian, I think that's more important than having that enthusiast working on your computer. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of it's kind of tough because you know I do respect the team over at Huntress Labs and I and and John himself, you know, he's done a lot of good things, but you know, I, I know a lot of IT people and I wouldn't say that they're the most confident people in the world, quite frankly. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, if I look across the whole population, there's probably um, more people in this industry that have trouble with confidence and believing in themselves than in other industries, maybe. Um, I don't know if I'm right on that. It's just kind of my perspective, right? Um, you know, I don't, I think there's a lot more people who are uh, cocky and, and maybe more confident in themselves in, let's say, you know, you know, in a sports organization than, you know, and if you're in maybe like weightlifting or you're, you're involved in a sports organization, you're probably going to be around more confident people than what we kind of have, what we see in, in our industry. And the reason I point that out is because when you, when you're, when you are kind of, you know, up there as a, as a champion for the industry and for security and you, and you talk like that and you diminish certifications that people are either trying to get to or you diminish a, a, a certification that somebody may, might already have, you plant that seed that these people think that they're not good enough to do these jobs in, in the industry. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest fear. Like we need to have a more inclusive attitude in a lot of different realms, not only with certifications and technical ability, but, you know, with gender and race. Um, there's a lot of areas that in tech that we need to watch how we speak and what we're saying so we don't turn people off to the industry. That. And why are you talking to me right now? So, you know, so that's, you know, really, really where my head was at on this. I, I was, I was trying, wow, that's really bad. So I, I really, I was trying to look at it from the perspective when I was watching the video of somebody who wasn't in the business. And if I was watching this as somebody who was interested in getting into uh, tech and, and cybersecurity, how would I feel about what they were saying? And if you don't go for something like a security plus initially, all these other certifications can just seem like they're so difficult to get. And it's just too hard to break into IT. Um, and that's not where we need to be as an industry. We need to be in a better place where we're trying to attract as much talent as possible. You know, because the I think of, you know, the kids in the inner cities who don't really understand what this business is and don't get exposed to the technology like maybe kids in the suburbs, right? I don't think you're going to disagree with me on that statement, right? Right, right, true. So, so like, why, why are we putting like we're? I feel like by doing these things, we're turning off these potential, uh, you know, people that could work in this industry by by acting and being a certain way that we. I'm not saying it's it's purposeful or even conscious, but you know, I'll I, I encourage you to go find the John Hammond and Network Chuck interview that's out on YouTube on Network Chuck's channel and watch it and 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 just see kind of the back and forth between the two and and you know kind of the the smugness that they have towards certain things uh, especially certain certifications as they as they kind of go through talking about different certifications and things like that so so that's that's really it and then you know you and I were talking about this before we went live and we and we talked about um a certain new social media app that's mm -hmm. becoming quite popular um where we shared kind of similar concerns and why don't you 
talk about what I'm alluding to here. Yeah, sure. So with Clubhouse, if you guys don't know it, it's it's I would call it like the AM radio, the digital AM radio. That's like the best way of describing it. It's it's like it's podcasts meet social media. Exactly, exactly. Back back in the days, you would call like if you're listening to like a sports show, and you know you would do first time caller, long time listener. If you remember right, yeah, the, the 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 nine seven six party lines back in the day when you used they used to have party lines and mm -hmm. you call up and talk you do you even know what i'm talking about yeah yeah of course so party lines people would call up a number usually they were local right so the idea is is people call in and they you know start chatting with one another over the phone and i guess if they like each other they may maybe arrange something to meet offline i've never called a party line so i don't really know i just knew they existed mm -hmm. um but it's similar to that you can just jump into a room and there's no posting there's no feed it, you just literally go into a room and you're it, you're in the middle of a conversation with a bunch of people. Um, there's a stage where the, the people who are speaking are up on stage. You can be brought up on stage to ask a question. Um, if you, I guess, if you become, if you're on the app enough, you become reputable enough, you're allowed to start your own rooms and things like that. But in a, in a nutshell, that's what it is. So what what did you uh what did we talk about uh before we started uh recording about yeah. the app that we wanted to kind of tie into what i just talked about yeah and this all goes yeah i i, I take it all goes back to be careful who you're listening to right because i'm seeing people saying you know you know uh start your seven figure business or or you know get 15,000 followers or they're talking about their millionaire lifestyle like you know this perfect life so i actually and and i was interested in it so i'm listening to it but then i'm like wondering okay who am i really listening to so the person who's claiming that you know this is their lavish not lifestyle but their whatever they were talking about i go in and i and i find them on linkedin and you know they're working on social they're working at the social security office and they've been this marketing guru consultant for the last year, but then like they have nothing really to show for. So it was kind of like, wait, well, there's a lot of, not fraudsters, but like, you know, kind of like fake, fake people that you gotta be careful. Yeah, that's gonna be a huge, uh, huge issue that that platform I think has to deal with is kind of like people fronting on fronting. who they are and, and what they're, what they're credentials are or what their experience is. Um, my concern with the platform early on is just some of the rooms I've been in and the, and the advice it's given has just been awful at some, mm -hmm. at, at some, at some points. Um, and you know, it, it just, you know, it, it's not good. Uh, you know, I was in a room a couple of nights ago and there was probably like, 300 people in this room and there was you know maybe just shy of two dozen people up on stage there was one guy who was dominating the the, the talking and some of the advice that he was giving to people on on this platform i was just like oh oh my god like i i just hope people like can see right through this and, and aren't really taking this as as good advice because it's not um and i see that a lot in in our business more than anything maybe because i know it so well um and maybe somebody who's like a marketing expert goes into a marketing room and here's kind of the you know the same thing going on um but you know the reality of it is it's unbelievable to me uh, uh, the amount sheer amount of poor advice that's being given on this platform um and my bigger concern is, is the audience that's on there right now it's like 20 somethings uh who are really looking for advice to kind of you know help their career right you know I'm, everybody was that 20 year old who wanted to kind of be further along in their career than they probably are right it yeah. takes time and a lot of a lot of 20 year olds don't have that perspective that you still have a lot of time in front of you uh, to make things happen. And, and we're in that, we, we live in a society of we want it now, we want it now, right? So you jump on something like Clubhouse and you get some bad advice. And then if you go act on it, 
you know, that that if you, the the wrong thing, I mean, you'll learn from failure, but you you know, the shortest point, the shortest path from point A to point B is a straight line. You know, you want that line to be as straight as it can be on your way up the ladder. You don't want it to be, you know, up and down and up and down and trying this and trying that and that failed and this failed. So, you know, just if you hear something on Clubhouse, I would say check your source like Andre did. See who the person is who just spit it out. And do a little bit more research than just Clubhouse being your sole source for that answer, right? Go do research. Maybe it's an idea that sounds really good, and then you could do maybe a half hour research and know whether that was really good advice or not. Um, now that would be that would be my strategy for kind of dealing with the, all the different noise that you hear on Clubhouse. Um, what are your thoughts there? No, you said it. And, it. and it goes back to even our industry. You know, all I got to do is take this, go to the local print shop, print out a business card, and I'm all of a sudden IT expert. I'm all of a sudden a cybersecurity expert. So even when you're looking at, um, you know, someone to provide IT and cybersecurity services for you, don't just rely on the pretty website. You know, ask for references, ask for, you know, has any of your clients ever been breached, you know, or, you know, and what did you learn from it or whatever the case is, but just don't believe what you hear out there because um, apparently they're letting anybody talk. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like on our mastermind call today when I showed you our friend who goes around speaking on cybersecurity, who's not mm -hmm. even a cybersecurity expert. Mm -hmm. He speaks on cybersecurity because he lost a $2 million software company due to a cyber attack and almost went to jail because of it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I mean, yeah, he can share his story and kind of paint the picture for you of what it's like to be a CEO who's kind of been through it. But I, I don't know if I'd be taking cybersecurity advice from somebody who was hacked. Right, right. <laughs> and that's just how I feel about it. I might be wrong, um, but there's a lot of people who are listening to this individual and they're listening to his story, um, you know, and it just goes, you know, it just goes to kind of back to what we were saying is like, just be mindful of who you're getting your advice from um, and who you're listening to, especially in a platform like, like, uh, like Clubhouse, where it's so easy to get connected with these people. And, you know, a lot of times you, you do a little Google search or you do some research like if you were looking for a cybersecurity podcast, you might go on Google to find a cybersecurity podcast, and then you might see ours, or you might see another one, or you might see um, a write-up on a good cybersecurity podcast. That's different than just jumping in a room and hearing some guy talk. Um, the other interesting thing about Clubhouse that I'm hearing is uh, I've heard it twice, three times this week, uh, and that is... Uh, people who are very in tune to the fact that people are bogarting rooms or, or speaking time just to get noticed to get you into their funnel and, uh, and things like that. Makes so, sense. What's that? It, it actually, it's actually a good idea. It makes sense that they do that. Well, does it though? Because if, if the audience on Clubhouse is in tune to this already, you know what I mean? Like, is that a good strategy? No, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but right. it's actually, a, like, I wouldn't do it, but I could understand why they're doing it. People do it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a good long-term strategy. It may work early on, especially with Clubhouse being new and fresh and people just try kind of connecting to whoever they can mm -hmm. um you know over time this thing's gonna you know this thing's gonna grow it's gonna be harder to uh connect with people um and you know if you don't really have a name yet it's gonna be a lot harder for you to get traction just like every other social media platform yeah. um you know the if you look up at how facebook and Snapchat and Instagram all kind of grew up. If you watch kind of like how they went from um, a very loose social website to then tightening things up to then moving towards a more ad, 
you know, driven approach where they make money off ads, which Clubhouse will eventually figure out and do one day. They will monetize that platform for right. sure. Um, and once that kind of gets to that point where they figure out how to monetize their platform, then it's going to be like similar to what we see with Facebook today and how, how it's used. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, not very easy to establish yourself as a thought leader or influencer on these platforms. Like it was, you know, three, five, seven years ago. And mm -hmm. we're in a place now where there's a lot of people jockeying for position to become that next influencer on clubhouse. Um, and a lot of it is just getting up on stage and getting that FaceTime uh, with people. And, um, you know, just because they have a lot of followers on Clubhouse doesn't mean they're the right person for you to follow, right? Um, you know, the best cybersecurity person who I think is like the most uh, followed person on Clubhouse right now in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't consider him the best cybersecurity person out there, you know, or, or that could, you know, the best cybersecurity people probably aren't even on Clubhouse yet. Um, but there are people positioning themselves as cybersecurity experts, as influencers on that platform right now. And when these other guys get there, the ones that are popular outside of Clubhouse that we know about that are respected in the industry, they're going to have they're going to come in with some kind of clout but they're also going to have to compete with these guys who established themselves early on yeah so uh and that goes for every single industry every single industry is on clubhouse right now positioning themselves you know you know the smart ones quite frankly are positioning themselves to be influencers early on um i think over time if they're faking it they'll they'll get weeded out mm -hmm. but in the beginning, there's going to be a lot of fakers who appear to be influencers. And I think that that's what you and I are trying to kind of bring to uh, light today. Just really be careful. Um, and, and please don't, especially in our business, please don't hire a cybersecurity expert if you heard them on Clubhouse. Like, don't let that be your only decision-making process. <laughs> um, do your due diligence there. If you want to hire a marketing expert off of a conversation in Clubhouse, go right ahead. But please don't hire a cybersecurity expert off of Clubhouse. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about, you want to add today, you want to add to that conversation about Clubhouse? Um, it, and, and it goes, like you just said, be, care, be careful who you're listening to um, when, you're, when you're looking for, for services. So no, that that's really it. Just be careful because there's a lot of um, uh, wannabes out there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of people out there that mean well, right? Mm -hmm. They might not think or or really be a wannabe. They just don't know, right? They don't know what they don't know. So mm -hmm. while they think that they're serving you the best that they can. Uh, you know, that might not not necessarily be the best that the market has to offer. Right. So so let's be mindful of that as we as we embark on this new kind of platform that 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 is Clubhouse, but also be mindful of that as you know, you look at maybe hiring a cybersecurity expert that, mm -hmm. you know, your current IT person that you've been with for 15 years or you have a great relationship and they might take care of your IT really well or your, your infrastructure really well, they might not be the best company to handle your cybersecurity. They might be or they might not be, but don't assume that they are. You know, figure out who, what their bench strength is, what their credentials are, what they do from a cybersecurity standpoint to keep their own organization cyber resilient. Um, these are the things that that you should be looking for as a business owner when it comes to hiring a company to take care of your cybersecurity. Um, one, other, one other thing I'll bring, bring up is, um, and I talked about it a little bit on one of our calls earlier in the week. I don't know if you were on that particular call, but um, I got to be take part in a conversation with a guy who ran a medical office. 
Um, and I'll set the stage for you a little bit. He, he, he's an IT director for a medical office and he worked, has worked with an MSP for uh, about nine years. And it's a typical MSP uh, help desk relationship, right? Where they help with some of the things that go on at, at the medical practice. They, um, they might not do the level one help desk, right? The, 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 the unplugging things and just rebooting computers and, and stuff like that, but they help with, you know, configuring firewalls and maybe some more advanced troubleshooting and support. The relationship is set up in a way where they pay a, a monthly fee to, I guess, have access to their services and then they pay by the hour. Um, and on average, this medical practice spent about, let's call it 15, 1600 a month on IT support from this company. Okay. Um, and, the, and the prospect, um, we'll just call him that, um, the prospect, number one, did not realize that his own MSP provided the cybersecurity services that he was looking for. Number two, he wanted an all-encompassing solution, and in his mind, he didn't believe that that existed. Like there was technology providers or managed service providers, managed service security providers that will do everything, including you know level one help desk, cybersecurity, and everything. You know, basically, I know you're my company do. Right. Mm -hmm. This guy was, I mean, he's in your state, by the way, this guy mm -hmm. uh, in Florida. Um, so he's just like, I just want a company that can do all this stuff. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, like these companies exist, like they're out there. Um, but the reason I the reason I want to bring that up is because, number one, I went to the MSP's website they do all the things that this guy is looking for. Hmm. What's probably going on, in my opinion, is the MSP. Now, tell me if you haven't heard this one before. The MSP isn't charging enough money, right? Mm -hmm. So the reality of it is for this size business, he's probably looking at a budget of about 2600 a month minimum to do everything that he said he wants to do. And what did I tell you? He was paying on average sixteen hundred bucks a month, right? Yeah. So there's a gap of a thousand dollars there a month that this guy needs to justify to management that we need to increase our spending by a thousand dollars a month or twelve thousand a year, however you want to look at it, in order to take care of our medical practice properly. And the, the problem is, and like the kind of like the hamster wheel that I see clients like this and, and MSPs that are out there, is that the MSP has been charging, undercharging for so long, they're now afraid to walk into their client and tell them, you have to spend $1,000 more a month with us to get all these services that we do offer. So what happens is the MSP never has the conversation with the client to educate them because they don't want to tell them they have to spend a thousand dollars more a month because they think that that's going to be some kind of reflection on them. It reflects on them poorly or it reflects on the, their service, which is wrong. Like just own it and eat it that you're, you're, you might be underserving your client, but the time to correct it is today is to turn around and say, okay, we're underserving this client. I need to have a phone call with them and tell them that we really, things have changed and we need to bring them up to this level of standard and work with them to put in a plan to get them to that standard over a period of time that works for the limited resources that they probably have. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, what I took away from that whole conversation was that, wow, his MSP can do this. They're just afraid to come to him and have that conversation. And that, and now this guy 
Now, now, poor, it's a shame for the current MSP because now this guy is shopping the MSP for services that he's looking for that, that fit the bill for what he needs. But the problem is, is he's doing it two ways. He's doing it with, with a mindset or a perspective that he's going to continue working with his current MSP. And he's just going to bolt on these extra security services with some other company. And what's going to happen when he goes in that buying process is he's going to find out that there's companies that do the whole enchilada like he wants. Yeah. And then he's going to think that his MSP isn't as good as the MSPs that he's talking to. And then now you've just basically by not doing these, by not talking to your client and not telling them everything that needs to be done, you've now put yourself in a position where they think you're a, a lesser company and you're less capable simply because you just aren't having a conversation with your clients that you should be having on a quarterly basis at a minimum, in my opinion. So, you know, you just described me about uh, a little over a year ago. That, that that was the same scenario, and that's kind of the same program that we're in now. Yeah. That's sort of why I finally switched over because I had a client, one of our best clients, and I never talked to them about any other services, and they had a need, especially because they were, uh, they they were like a developer, and and they owned a lot of buildings, so they were real estate as well, and they had a need. And um, they didn't know that I that I could do it. I never told them I could do it because I was afraid for the last seven years I've been charging them this. And then if I go and jump it, they're going to then leave. So I kind of just left them there and like, okay, you know, everything's okay. And then one day I get a, a, a email, you know, hey, it's been a great seven years, um, but we've decided to go a different way. And and I actually, uh, I was friends with, with the office manager and I, I shoot her a text message. I was like, what was this about? And um, she said another company came and um, and they're paying more. They paid two hundred and fifty dollars a seat, and um, and they they decided to go with this company because they 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 offered the need that that they needed, and um, so I failed in that. So that was a big lesson learned, and that's that's one of the reasons why I you know I I, I shifted my my focus. Yeah. So let's break this down, right? If you're a business owner and you feel like you're working with an MSP who isn't delivering the full enchilada and they just do a couple nice things for you, but mm -hmm. you feel like there's things missing that they could do, understand that they may be able to provide those things for you. It's just that your budget is, is kind of scaring them off from having that conversation with you, right? So, if you do work with an IT company or MSP, and let's just put it this way, if you're not paying about 6% of your top line revenue to this company, if your number is below 6% of what your top line revenue is, there's a very good chance in my opinion that you're in this situation, that you have an IT company that you outsource to, that you're not paying enough money to, so they're not doing all the services that they could be doing for you, and because you're not regularly meeting and talking, you're in this hamster wheel of death. <laughs> you know, you're in the spiral of death um, with your MSP and your business could go down the spiral of death right with your MSP. Um, you know, yes, it's your MSP's responsibility to come to you and have these conversations. But as a business owner, you're ultimately responsible for your risk. So you need to understand that you have risk with the with the MSP that you decided to partner with. There is risk to your business because of the relationship, the contract, the amount of money you've, you've agreed to pay that. Mm -hmm. It's no fault of your own. It's just the circumstances have, have, have dictated that you're paying a certain amount and you can only deliver a certain amount of services for that amount. And if your MSP is delivering more services than what you're paying them for, they're losing money. And your MSP is going to go out of business one day, right? You're going to, you're going to wake up and they're going to be like, oh, we sold to another company because that's what most MSPs do. You know, they, they, they sell on pennies on the dollar because their company is structured so poorly. 
and they find some sucker to buy them. And, and, and MSP, we're, we're in a market right now where crappy MSPs are being bought all the time. You know, they just want to buy the book of names. They don't care what your operations looks like, look, looks like. And really, you're not being purchased for the valuation of your company and how good, how efficiently it runs. You're, you're being bought for your book of names, and they're hoping that those names will turn around into something profitable on the backside. So, you know, the MSP will go out of business. The, the, the owner will burn out when he's not charging enough money and or they will get bought out and you won't be working with that company that you initially hired anyway. You know, and if you're an MSP and you're listening to our podcast, um, we thank you, number one. <laughs> number two, um, you know, you got to watch for these things. You got to be mindful of this stuff, guys. You got to serve your clients better. You got to do better by your clients and by your industry. You need to charge more money, period. That's 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 it. Like you need to charge more money for your services. If you really broke it down and figured out how much all this stuff costs and you added a decent margin to it, I'm talking, you know, Every business in the world, it doesn't matter what you in, at least operates on some kind of gross profit margin of somewhere around 40 to 60%. If you're not building that 60% profit margin into what everything costs you to run your business, you're going to run out of money and you're not going to be able to grow and you're not going to be able to, to do things. You just basically created a job for yourself with 20 bosses. You know what I mean? Because how many MSPs do you know that have 20 clients? They have no employees. No. But I know I know quite a few. You don't know any? You don't know any MSPs that are solo that have about 10 to 20 clients. As a full-time job? <laughs> no, like I'm saying, like we know yeah. we know some MSPs that are one guy. Right. And they have, you know, probably 10, 15, 20 clients. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I do, but I don't know how comfortable they're living, you know, like they're not living comfortable. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Miserable. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of people quit their IT job to start like an MSP or an IT business because they think I want to work for myself. I want to be my own boss. But the reality of it is, is if you're not building a company with employees and staff and building processes and a company that you can walk away from for weeks at a time and it still operates yeah nobody's like mad at you because you didn't answer your phone like i'm talking about the rampant i the rampant structure of businesses in our industry and it looks more like what i just described than a a good well-run business there's more one two men shop msps it companies that are running themselves into the ground because they don't charge enough money and they're running themselves in the ground either financially or they're burning themselves out and mm-hmm. they just hate their business because they went from working in a job with a consistent paycheck with one boss to something that they created that resembles a job. It doesn't resemble a business if you look at it from a 30,000 foot view and they don't have a consistent paycheck and they have 20 bosses. Yeah. You know, at any point in time, you know, when you work a job, you're you only have one guy that can call you your boss, you know, for the most part, one guy who's going to be calling you and blowing up your phone if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. When you set up something like this and you don't do it right and you have all these clients who are effectively your bosses and you have 20 of them, that's 20 people that can call you and dictate your day, so to speak. You know, so. I just wanted to paint that picture because I think a lot of business owners feel good about themselves when they feel like they're getting IT on the cheap, Mm -hmm. right? They feel like they know they're underpaying. They know they got a good technically sound person watching after their stuff. And at the same time, they know they're getting that at a discount. Yeah. Right. And maybe they don't know, but I think a lot of business owners, especially if you're, you know, you've made it past two, three million you got to know what you're doing at that point. You know, you've been around the block enough. You've seen enough things. You know that you're kind of, you know, underpaying for 
what you sh- what you should be on IT. And that's the picture I wanted to paint for a business owner when they so they understand that I talk about technology debt that every every dollar every minute that goes by where you're kind of getting off on the cheap with your IT support that deck that technology debt clock is is just going up and up and up and up and it's gonna it's gonna bite you one day it's either gonna bite you directly or indirectly through your 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 MSP or your IT provider yeah so you know I hope that helps people because it's really important to me that people start understanding this and understanding you know what's out there the quality of companies that are out there um you know you they you do have a lot of options when it comes to it support today which is great but if you don't know how to buy and weed through all the noise you could end up in a situation where you're not and not with the best company that can serve you the best and it, there's a lot of it, that can look a lot of different ways you know it shows up a lot of different ways as i tried to cover here on the podcast today um but just be mindful of it folks just be mindful that when you buy these services where you hire a cybersecurity company um you know you got to really look at who you're hiring in the same sense that you got to look at who you're listening to on clubhouse uh and on youtube for that matter um you know don't just take one person's advice for things do your research uh, and don't even take our advice on this channel because we're just a couple, but a couple idiots that like to talk about technology and cybersecurity. Go do your research. You know, go listen to what we said here, and then maybe that opens your eyes to something, and and look into it a little bit further and see if you know you agree with what we're saying here because it really is just my opinion and how I kind of boil things down from what I've seen and experienced over my twenty some years in this industry. Um, so. I hope it helps you. That's all I can say. Anything you want to leave our audience with as we wrap up our show for this week? Uh, I have an idea, though. Maybe for one of the future show topics, we can actually uh, talk about um, questions to ask or what to look for, red flags, things like that uh, for our audiences so they kind of know who, uh, you know, when that hiring process does come about, what's what's the sub bar and what's the, you know, standard and then what's the, no. That's a great question. That's a great thing. So what? So so our next podcast, we could do that. We I have a great idea for that where we can run through some questions that you should ask as a business owner when you're hiring a cybersecurity company or an IT company, right? Mm-hmm. And we can dissect those questions and help people understand why they should be asking them and why why we're telling you to ask them. So you understand the why behind the question. Uh, so you're a little bit smarter as you, as you go along and, and pick these companies. That's that's a great topic for next time. And quite frankly, I could talk for two hours on that topic. <laughs> we'll pick maybe five or ten questions and we'll dissect those on the on the next uh, on the next podcast video. And hey, listen, if you are listening to this and maybe you're in the car or you know you're on the treadmill or you're you're on a walk um, or maybe you're just sitting in front of the computer. We do stream these as we record them live on YouTube and Facebook. If you search Security Squawk Podcast on Facebook or YouTube, they'll come up. If you go to those uh, locations on Facebook or uh, YouTube, drop a question on one of our posts and we will we monitor that and we will read them. And if you post a question inside of our uh, social media, either on Facebook or YouTube, we will address it on one of our future podcasts, probably the very next one we're recording, because we don't get a lot of questions right now. We don't have a ton of followers, but quite frankly, we got more than I thought at this point, and I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I thank anyone who is uh, downloading this. I I actually fell a little bit behind on my schedule last week, and I didn't get the podcast uploaded until earlier this week. And the day that I uploaded it, within an hour, we had over a dozen downloads. Wow, awesome. Uh, and I know that the first podcast that I posted, it took us probably three weeks to get a, a dozen downloads. Um, so, and, and this is episode number 11. So we have 10 other episodes that you guys can go back on. They're all about an hour each. I like to talk a lot, so some of them go over an hour. Um, so, you know, you have 
well over 10 hours, 11 hours of content at this point that you can go back and listen to. Uh, and hopefully you'll find some gems. And, you know, if you did learn anything, all that we ask is you share us out on your social media and let your friends and family know that this podcast exists. And if you want to get smarter about cybersecurity and learn how to protect yourself, this isn't a nerd channel. This is a channel for everybody, for everybody to learn so we can help people become more cyber aware. So for Andre and I, we hope you all have a good week. We'll talk to you all next week. Stay safe out there and hit us up on our social media. We look forward to hearing from you over there. Take care, everyone. All right.